If you have a Bible, don't you want to open it up to Mark chapter 10? Uh, Mark chapter 10. We are in the, the, the second week of a series looking at questions that Jesus asked. And um, here's a spoiler. The question that we're going to look at this morning is, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do uh, for you? I think, uh, I think there are two words that every human being is born with, hardwired into uh, your operating system that no one has to teach us what they uh, teach us them. Uh, and you know what they are? Well, I mean, I'll tell you. I don't, I don't like guessing games. So um, The two words are this. I want. I want. No one has to teach any kid those words. I mean, they obviously pick it up, you know. But... I'm, I'm amazed at how strong that is in kids. I want this. I want, we obviously we have teenagers and then we have an, a nine-year-old. And we still are awash in the I want uh, years. I want, I want. I can still remember it. I want, I want, I want. And then you have to like, try and help them. Say, like, no, let's, let's try a bit of please. You know? it's like, but the I want is just like, it's like I have a right to these things that they're very clear about what they want. And, you know, we can talk about kids and say, oh, definitely kids are like that, you know. Uh, and, but when you, you grow out of it as an adult, <laughs> which is not true, is it? We also share this morning with wants. Uh, wants, desires, uh, needs. Let's stand on this side of here. Wants and desires and, and needs. We have legitimate um, Physical. Am I still there? We have legitimate physical, spiritual, emotional, mental needs. Uh, who's that guy who came up with that hierarchy? Uh, Maslow, huh? Is it Maslow? There we go. Something stuck at school. Uh, his hierarchy of needs. Not every need is equal. We have a hierarchy of them. But. Needs and, and desires are they're slightly different. They overlap and stuff. And you sit here this morning as a person with all of that mixed together in you. And I want you to think as we dive into this this morning, because I'm going to ask you a million questions this morning, and I want this to churn because we're going to have a chance to respond at the end. What, what are your greatest needs and desires at the moment? What are your greatest needs and desires at the moment? Because we're going to look at a passage now, uh, so I'll say this a few times, we're going to look at a passage now that flashes out that the way you answer that question says a lot about what's going on in your heart. It says a lot about what's going on in your heart, how you answer the question, what is your greatest need and desire. And for some of us here this morning, you have, you have physical needs, you have material needs or emotional needs, and, they, and they're very real and they're legitimate. And then others are desires and struggles, and wants, and things that you want that you know you, you shouldn't want, things that you desire that are unhealthy and bad for you. We're, we're complicated people. We're a mixed up mess. Thankful for the work of the Spirit that can untangle some of that, and we're going to pray that God will help us to make our way through the weeds and see our hearts more clearly, but more than that, look at Jesus, the one who is the need meter. And the one who transforms our desires. So 
let's pray together. I mean, let's read together, and then I'm going to pray as we dive into Mark 10. What I'm going to do is, what you see here in Mark, we're going to read two passages. We're going to skip a little, little bit in between. If you have a Bible, you'll see I'll jump over from verses 40 to 46. I'm going to skip that little section. That's not important for what we're dealing with this morning. It's not that I don't want to deal with it. It just doesn't, it's not what we're talking about this morning. But within two immediate interactions here, you see Jesus asking the same question in two different contexts. And so I'm going to read both the context, and then we're going to deal with them one at a time. Okay, Mark 10 uh, from verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That sounds like a toddler, doesn't it? Every mom is like, oh my. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. Let's jump to verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, uh, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Let's pray together. Father, as we come uh, to your word again this morning, we want, to, we want to pause and still our hearts and remind ourselves that the living God still speaks to us. And we pray that you, uh, our Father, would speak. That through, through my voice, through my words, we would hear you. That I would fade into the background, that you would be preeminent. That we would encounter you in fresh ways this morning. That you would give us grace to hear. Unblock our ears. Soften our hearts. Thank you that as our loving Father, you know exactly what our souls need this morning. You know the condition of every heart in this room. And you know where we need to be encouraged, uh, convicted, strengthened, challenged. You have prepared work in advance to do amongst us because we belong to you. And so we pray, would you come and do that work amongst us now? Would you send the Holy Spirit to teach us and to speak and to reveal, to minister to us? We're so, we're so desperately in need of the Holy Spirit to be 
our teacher and to be amongst us. And so we pause and look to you and say, Father, would you please? Thank you that we're not trying to overcome your reluctance. We're laying hold of your highest willingness to come and minister to your people this morning. And so we are expecting to meet with you. Come and speak to us through your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you want me to do for you? So the first context here is James and John. The two disciples there, they get Jesus off to the one side. And they ask him, almost demand of him, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask you to do for us. It's presumptuous, isn't it? It's crazy if you think about it. Like, hey Jesus, king of the universe, we, I want, we want you to do whatever we ask you. And I mean, Jesus could have rained down lightning bolts on their heads, which would have been within reason. But he doesn't. He, he engages with them. He says, okay, well, what do you, what do you want me to do? For you, but they've, they've got Jesus there away from the other disciples. This is important. They've been devious here because their desire is what? What's their, what's their desire when Jesus says, What do you want me to do for you? Say, hey, when you come into glory, can one of us sit on the left and can one sit at the right? Like we would both want to be like deputy presidents. Uh, we want positions of honor, authority, fame, power. We want to be your like, go to guys. Um, I know there's 12 of us amongst the disciples, and so, Jesus, we're just asking, we're like calling dibs on those positions. Um, like, we're not asking for a vote, whatever else, we're just saying, hey, like, God, Jesus, can we just have a quick chat here? Uh, can we book those, can we dibs those spots next to you of authority? Um, and if you keep reading the passage, when the disciples find out that they did this, they're, asked, they're so bleak, they're so bleak with James and John, but you know what? They're disciples, and they are wicked in their hearts, just like the others. And so they, the only reason they're bleak is that they didn't get uh, to Jesus first, I think. They all wanted those spots left and right. It's not like James and John are like superiorly um, stunted disciples. I think they all had lost the plot. They all needed uh, help. And their question reveals what's in their hearts. The disciples are hard work for Jesus most of the time. They misunderstand most of what he teaches. They disappoint him when he needs them most. It's only sort of after the Holy Spirit gets a hold of them post-Pentecost that they become of any use. They're basically just in school with Jesus the whole time. Uh, but thankfully the Holy Spirit got a hold of them and then they ended up uh, changing the world. But as they're going through um, ministry, those three years with Jesus... Uh, you see think, interactions like this where what's in their heart gets flushed out by a question. What do you want me to do for you? Yeah, we want these positions of, of authority and power and glory and fame. I'll ask you again, how would you answer that question? Because your answer, as I said, reveals what's in your heart. The answer, what do you... And, and not, not, not your answer, not, not, not the correct answer. As Christians, we're experts in playing games with God. We're experts in playing games with each other. And so you can come to church and be blessed and lovely. Everyone asks you how you're doing. Lovely. Meanwhile, you're like swimming on the inside. You're drowning. You're not blessed. You're not lacquer. You're not lovely. You're not whatever. You're a complete and utter mess. And it's a blimmin' miracle that you made it to church this morning. But you're fine. If someone asks you a coffee, you're fine. We are experts at pretending. 
But we are also experts at trying to pretend with God. When Jesus comes and asks you the question, what do you want me to do for you? We think, what would be the right answer? Well, Lord, I, lo- I-, I wish you would make me more patient. You know? you know that's the right answer. Meanwhile, in your heart of hearts, you're like, Lord, I wish I won the lottery. Or wish I-, I wish you'd fire my boss. Or you know, make my life easier. Or make my kids more obedient. Or you know, repair this. Or take this person out of my life. Or whatever. There's other things that we think, well, that's a bit too honest. You can't really put that forward. What I'm advocating for this morning is absolute honesty. That you put forward in your answer, your, your honest answer. Because, and it should be no surprise to us, Jesus looks past the nonsense answers. He can see into your heart what the real and deep desire is there. You're not fooling him, you're not fooling anyone by giving the right answers. What's in our hearts, guys, is what's in our hearts. Your desires are your desires. That's who you are. It's not an aberration. That is where you are. That it's a great place to start is where you are and who you are. Thankfully, the Lord doesn't leave us there. And this process of transformation is a lifelong process. But there's no point pretending like you're somebody different. You are who you are. Desires, good, bad, up, down, all mixed together. That's you. As it was with James and John. Let's jump to the next one. Jesus This is not an immediate thing. They head off to Jericho. He's making his way up to Jerusalem. They leave Jericho. And Bartimaeus um, hears that Jesus is coming. And he starts crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And what happens? The crowd are like, shh. What's that movie where they have the shusher? Does anyone know? Okay, anyway. There's a movie with a shusher. Okay. Uh, So the... It's a kid's movie, I think. I'm aging myself here. So the, the, the crowd all pull out their shushes, and they're like shushing, like, like shush, shush, shush. The son of David and his disciples are far more important. You, Bartimaeus, we know you. You're blind. You always have an issue, whatever else. Like, don't interrupt this guy. And they're trying to silence him. And the, more, the passage says the more they're trying to silence him, the louder he gets. The louder, he is now full volume. Son of David, have mercy on me. Somehow Jesus hears. He says, hey, yeah, call that guy over here. Hey, cheer up, come, he wants to... And Jesus has an interaction with Bartimaeus. He says, it's amazing. He says to him, what? What what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do for you? Why does Jesus ask him that question, do you think? Why does Jesus ask a blind guy, what do you want me to do for you? When he's been yelling at the top of his lungs, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Because Jesus is all about relationships. He's about relationships. He wanted to see Bartimaeus face to face. He was about to give the chance for Bartimaeus to see Jesus face to face. That's amazing. But he, he could have just sent word, or sprinkled fairy dust, and kept going. He said, I'm on my way, guys. We've done with Jericho. I'm off to Jerusalem. Just, you know, you'll be fine. And gone. And the guy would have been healed. Jesus can just speak. He can just think. And it happens. A healing could have happened. He wants to see Bartimaeus. And in that interaction... He wants Bartimaeus to verbalize, what is it that you want me to do for you? There's something incredibly powerful in verbalizing what you want the Lord to do for you. Because Jesus is all about these relationships. Do you remember, it's, I think it's in Mark, in Mark 5, Jesus is moving through the crowds. It says he is with his disciples around him. The crowd is all around him. And it says he feels power leave his body. 
What, you remember the story? Uh, the lady with the issue of blood, she had been bleeding for years and years. She reaches out and she grabs his garment and he feels power leave his body. And he stops. And he's like, who touched me? Who touched me? And the disciples are like, dude, like we're in like a, this is like a concert. Like it's just like, what do you mean who touched you? You're surrounded by a whole bunch of people. He says, who touched me? Who touched me? He could have just kept moving because it says that as soon as she touched him, she was healed. So she's healed. She's fine. Nothing else needs to happen. It says that the bleeding stopped immediately. She is done. Jesus could have just kept walking. Why does he stop? Because Jesus is about relationships. He wants to look at her in the face. And he wants to commend her for her faith. He wants to commend her for her faith. He's not just this like this power unit that cruises around healing and dispensing miracles by fairy dust. He is a relational God and He is here this morning. And He wants to have a relationship with you if you don't already have one with Him. But if you do, He wants to look you in the eyes. And He wants an answer to that question. What do you want me to do for you? Because He loves us and He's all about relationships. I love this encounter with Bartimaeus. Because Jesus sees this blind, desperate guy. This is a guy in desperate, desperate need. He doesn't care that the people are trying to tell him to shut up. It just makes him bolder. There's something in this story, isn't there? We are often far too casual in our desire for more of God. We give up too easy. This guy is desperate. He doesn't care what other people think of him. He doesn't care. He is so desperate. He knows that this is my, I think my only chance is walking out of the city here. My only chance of healing is walking out of the city. I need to do what I can to get to him. I don't care about these people. I don't care what they think of me. That's true desperation. Jesus looks at him and says, what do you want me to do for you? And one of the wonderful things about this interaction is Jesus hears his answer, I want to see. And he doesn't go like, what? Oh, I'm Jesus. I'm I'm the Messiah. I do spiritual things. I'm not, I don't do physical things. I'm not worried about your physical needs. I'm, I'm, here to, I'm here to help you with the spiritual side of things. Some people, everyone's on a spectrum. Some people think that's what God's like. You know, He only helps you with spiritual things. Other people on the other, other end of the spectrum, more worried about, hey, Jesus needs to help me with all my physical needs. And the truth is a combination of both of those things. He doesn't dismiss him and say, oh, you know, I don't really do, deal with blind stuff, you know. I mean, if you want to, like, be more anointed for this kind of stuff, like, I'm your guy, ask me that kind of thing. But don't ask me about seeing. He, he, he's delighted to heal him. He's delighted to heal him. Jesus is concerned about the physical, emotional, spiritual, financial needs that you have. I hope you know that. I hope you know that you're sitting in a church this morning and it's not just about becoming more godly people and he is intensely concerned about the everyday stuff of your life. We're going to talk a bit about how he meets those needs and what his promises are in a second. But I want you to bank that he is deeply, deeply concerned about every single aspect of your life. It's not like you can't bother him with that thing because, you know, you can only pray about these things. But that, like, you know, you have an issue at work. You, you can't pray about it because it's work. 
you know, your boss, or you've got financial pressure, or you're trying to have a child, or you're trying to sell your house, or you're battling with depression. You don't bother Jesus with those things. Absolutely bother him. He wants to be bothered with those things because that's who you are. That's what you're going through. In this interaction Jesus has with Bartimaeus, what does he commend him for? What does he say to him? Your, your faith has saved you. He says, go. Your faith has saved you. Now, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about this because there's a lot of confusion around this. Depending on your church background or how much um, TBN you've watched. Is TBN still a thing? Yeah, yeah, you're outing yourself. Yeah, if any of you, no one's going to say, yes, it's still a thing. I'll watch it. Uh, anyway, I know Theo watches TBN. He loves that stuff. Um, depending on, on, your, on your spiritual journey and church thing, when you hear the word faith and when you hear me say, and Jesus say, your faith has saved you, your faith has healed you, your faith has made you well, it can, you can wander into a realm where the, the, the key ingredient is faith. And what you need is more faith. And if there's a deficiency, you need to wind up this. You need to wind up more faith. And until you wind up enough faith, that then be, you, you like make certain levels and you unlock things and you XP and you power up. And then you click over enough faith and you can activate whatever package you can open and upgrade to whatever else that thing is kind of thing. In some places where you go, you'll hear that. that if there's a deficiency in you, if you're sick, if you're lacking something, whatever else, you lack faith. You don't have enough faith. And what you need to work on is faith. And obviously, you can hear in the tone of my voice, I think that is heresy. I think, thanks, Theo. Um, I told you he likes his TV and stuff. Uh, it's heresy because it puts all the onus on you to summon faith from somewhere. The Bible says faith is a gift of God. Summon faith from somewhere to unlock these things to release the power to overcome things. But what can happen is that you can fall so far off that side of the world that you hear the words of Jesus say, go, your faith has saved you, and we downplay the role that faith actually plays in your life. Faith is active reliance. Back to the lady with the blood issue. Back to the lady with the blood issue. She reaches out in faith. She reaches out in faith. She, it says in Mark's account, if only I can just touch the hem of his garment, something's going to happen. If only I can do that. And she does it. Jesus stops the whole show. And when he looks at her, what does he say to her? Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Guys, there is, I don't know exactly how it works. But there is a massive component of faith, of active Belief and active reliance in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That does, that does contribute to healing, provision, breakthrough, salvation, a million other things. Faith is a thing. It's a thing. It's a, it's a central part of this. Jesus commends both Bartimaeus and the lady with the blood, their act of trust in Jesus is commended. Is your faith has done this. It's not that Jesus couldn't do it without their faith, because, and this is, the, this is where it gets confusing, because sometimes Jesus just does heal. 
And it's not necessarily dependent on the faith. He's just doing what he is because he's Jesus. He rolls however he wants. So it's not always dependent on your faith. But faith plays a central part in it. You can't dodge this. But it's not. We don't want to fall over all the other way and say, I need, an, I need to wind up some more faith. You know, I, I have faith. Lord, give me more faith. Oh, you know, and you're fasting and praying and like, whoosh, 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 like trying to level up the faith. A simple faith, childlike faith is this. Jesus, I believe you can do this. I'm asking you because I believe that you can do this. You're the only one who can do this. That's when you know you're hitting real need. Is when you, you could sort of, if you can sort out your own problem, you don't really need Jesus to help you. A need, a real need, a Bartimaeus desperate kind of need is like, Lord, we need you to step in here. Now, you folks know me well enough to know that I'm not a crazy, prosperity, whoop-de-doo kind of dude. If you're new here, hello. Um, I'm not like that kind of oak. But I've been deeply challenged by this, especially preparing this week, praying so much, and praying and asking God, would you stir my faith? Would you raise my expectancy to see miraculous things happen in my life and in the lives of the people that are part of the Parkers Community Church? Miraculous things happen that have no natural explanation. Okay? So it's not like oh, you worked harder, you know, Lord, help me lose 20Ks, and then you go on like a massive fast and whatever else, and it happens. It's like it's amazing. You know, miraculous weight loss. It's, no, you start yourself to that goal kind of thing. Uh, I'm just using examples that at this time of the year, everyone can sort of connect with. Um, miraculous things happening that when we look at them and when we share the answers amongst us, who gets the glory for it? Not me, not the prayer team, not your CG leader, not your Christian mates, no one else. The only person who gets the glory is the only one who could make it happen. And I, I think maybe it's because I studied at the Baptist college. I don't know. I'm not a Baptist, but maybe I've got some of that still in me. I have like this aversion to the miraculous. And then you more you read the scriptures, you realize... Jesus has absolutely no aversion to miraculous things happening. He wants to see them happening. He wants to see them happening in your life, in our church, in this suburb. So I hope you feel stirred. And I want you to start to pray. Lord, would you start to do miraculous things? That's what we're going to be praying for at the end of the service, by the way. We're going to start with our needs. Because there needs to be a miraculous intervention in some of the situations. And some of the connections and relationships that you are going through. And who gets the glory? Yeah, it's him. It's not you. Let's just deal with a couple of things here quickly. We've spoken about faith. Does God answer every request with a yes? <laughs> well, I mean, that's an easy one, isn't it? If only all questions on Sunday morning were easy. Like, obviously he doesn't. Obviously he doesn't. No is a complete sentence with God. No is a complete sentence. You can ask him, he's like, no. And you know what? God doesn't owe you an explanation. You know, when I say no to my kids, it's, it normally opens the bargaining um, process. And I'm like, no, no, guys, when I say no, I mean no. I don't mean no, now let's start bartering and going backwards and forwards. So far I haven't won, you can tell. It's like, it drives me mad. Uh, but with God, when he says no, he doesn't need to qualify his no. Like, this is why I said no, you know, la, 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 la. He, he is God. That's the difference. He can just say no. And we might not like it, but, you know, toughies, that's, that's just how it is. 
Why doesn't he answer everything with a yes? Well, there's a few reasons. One is that if God answered every request, every want, every desire with a yes, you'd probably ruin your life. I would. I would have ruined my life a million times over if God gave me everything I asked for. I do not have the wisdom and the discernment and the knowledge of my own heart and life and the world and plans and stuff to know what's best for me. I don't. And neither do you, by the way. You, you need a shepherd. You need a leader. You need a God. You don't know what you best need. Thankfully, you are not the master and commander of your own life. There's somebody else who is leading you. And he loves you and his ways are better than the plans that you could have for yourself. And so sometimes when he says no, it's because if he said yes, it would be terrible. Even, if, even though I think it might be a great idea. And these can even be good things. You know, hey Lord, I really want that job. You really want a job? You're praying, praying, praying. Surely this is a good thing. Hey Lord, we want to buy that house. Oh Lord, I want to move there. I want to go live there and make it happen, Lord. Like that could be the worst thing for you. You don't know. And that's maybe why he's like, no. And you, we stamping, throwing out toys, having a full-on toddler tantrum there. You know? And God's like, well, I mean, maybe he's more compassionate than clucking like I do. And that's me. But he, he knows what you need best. He's not holding out on his goodness. Remember this. He is, you know, what's that song we sing? He's a good, good father. Sometimes we sing that song to death. He's a good, good father. He is a good father. Unless you settle that, in, his nature is all good. And everything that he does to you is good. Unless you settle that as a foundation, then you get the sulks when he says no. You have to settle that if he doesn't allow it, it's for your good. And if he does allow it, it's for your good. You have to settle that. Otherwise, we get the sulks when we don't get what we want. Sometimes he says no because he's got a better plan. We think we need that. God's like, that's a no. I'm going to give you this instead. Sometimes he's more glorified in one kind of circumstance than in another. Are you, are you still with me? I know it's getting hot and long. Sometimes he's more glorified in one circumstance than in another. You think, Lord, this needs to end. This circumstance needs to change. I need to move to this circumstance. This will be better. This will be more comfortable. This will be easier. This will glorify you more. And he knows best. And he's like, this circumstance will glorify me more. And one of the most stark reminders that I have in my life of this is the ongoing reading of uh, the books and the autobiography of Joni Erickson Tata. Some of you will know Joni Erickson Tata. She, she was a vibrant, Jesus-loving, sporty girl out uh, with her family and her friends at Chesapeake Bay. 17-year-old, dived into um, a, a lake. She thought it was deeper than it was, and she shattered whatever vertebrae, whatever else, quadriplegic from the age of 17. Um, She's still alive. She's written, I don't know, 40 something books, I think. If you find anything by her, uh, read it. She is the most, she's the most astonishing lady. She's got so many wonderful quotes. One of the ones she said is, um, she, lo- she loves this idea of heaven. That when, when she finally has use of her arms, when she finally has use of her arms, she won't need to wipe her tears away because Jesus will do it for her. Isn't that cool? 
And she's, she's mo most famous for this other one where she says, the first thing I'm going to do, the first thing I'm going to do with my resurrected body when my legs finally work again is kneel down before Jesus and worship him. First thing she's going to do, being consigned to a wheelchair from the age of 17. She's an amazing woman. She said this as she wrestled with God not healing her because she has been to every healing crusade on the planet. And God took on a long journey of settling. Why has God not healed her? Does God miraculously heal? Sure he does. But in this broken world, it's still the exception, not the rule. A no answer to my request for a miraculous physical healing is meant purged sin, a love for the lost, increased compassion, stretched hope, an appetite for grace, an increase of faith, a happy longing for heaven, a desire to serve, a delight in prayer and a hunger for his word. Oh, bless the stern schoolmaster that is my wheelchair. It's all to the prayers of deeper healing in Christ. It's okay to talk a good game about Jesus not doing stuff for you when everything's going fine, but when you've been a quadriplegic from the age of 17 and you're able to say, I bless God for this wheelchair because it's taught me so much and there's so many things in her life that have come about because, because God has not healed her. Because God has not healed her. Does God heal? She says yes. She has seen healings. She has prayed for people to be healed. And they've seen healings happen. I've been part of it. I've seen God physically, uh, miraculously heal people. God does do that. But I agree with her. I think it's an exception. And it's not the rule. And when it doesn't happen, God is always doing something more. We long for our circumstances to change, guys. And sometimes God's no is because in the circumstance staying the way it is, He is glorified more and you are further transformed more. That's just the honest truth. We want ease and comfort and God wants transformation, character development and glory to Himself. Does He still sometimes answer our requests? Often. Yeah, He does. How do we know what we should do? Should we pray this? It's like, Lord, I don't you know, you don't have to sweat about it. It's like, Lord, you're not going to get struck down for asking God to do something that he's not going to do. He's like, you ask me that again, I'm sending you to your room. You know, it's like, he's not like that. He's not, like, he's not offended by our ongoing asking. Well, what does the Bible say? You don't have because you don't ask. Ask and ask and ask. Jesus tells the parable of the persistent widow. Ask. And ask, God is not wearied by your ongoing asking. I think he delights in our ongoing asking. He loves it. Ask him the same thing again and again and again. He may say no, 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 no. But he still delights in the asking. What does God always say yes to? What does God always say yes to? Let me read a couple of scriptures for your encouragement this morning as we land this. Romans 8 verse 31. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be? Who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? It's an argument here from the greater to the lesser. He has given us his own son. There's nothing more that God could give you than his own son. He started right at the top. That's the best and greatest thing God could give was his own son. And the argument is then if he didn't withhold his own son from us, surely he'll give you everything else. 
Now, the everything needs to be qualified, doesn't it? Everything does not mean a, a Mercedes. It doesn't mean a holiday house. It doesn't mean ev the everything that we would want. It does need some qualifying. It's everything. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Here's the everything God has given you. God has given you everything you need to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. You have everything that you need to live a godly life in Christ. You don't have to level up. You're not trying to download something. You're not trying to step into something you don't need. This courses, men's and women's ministry, coming to church, all these things will help you. They will be the means of grace. But God has already, already given you everything that you need to live a godly life in Christ. It's amazing. It's amazing the power and the potential that God has put in you if you're a believer in Jesus through the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is amazing. You have everything you need. Ephesians 1 verse 3, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Is God holding out on anything with you? No. He has already blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You're not a, there's no spiritual poverty abounding in any single person who calls Jesus Lord. The last one is this, Matthew 6 verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. That comes at the end of a long discussion, teaching of Jesus about being worried about clothing and food and provision. He says, why do you worry about all of those things? He's got those things covered, but, but seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be provided. I love that because there's a priority there. It's like, seek this and he'll still do this, but there's an order. Go after this first. Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And I think we all need to look at our own lives and say, hey, what's the diet of my prayer life? What's the diet of my own longings and heart desires? Is it, is it the righteousness of uh, God? Is it, the, is it the kingdom? Am I, if, if you dissected my prayer life, is that what I'm praying for? Lord, I want to see more of the kingdom at work in my own life, through my life, in my friends and family. So, as we come to this question, I want you to think about it. Jesus as it were, stands before you today and says, what, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Because we, we all have different needs this morning. Like I said, some of you have, have physical, tangible pressures and issues that you really need God to miraculously intervene in. Some of you are carrying hurt and pain and offense and bitterness. And, and it just... It's seeping into every area of your life. It's affecting you. It's affecting every part of who you are. Some of you are stuck. Some of you are stuck in um, patterns of perpetual sin. And they, they, you just have a washing machine there and you just keep falling over the same thing again and again. Some of you are beholden to pornography. It has its claws in you and you're stuck there. And, and you've prayed and God hasn't delivered you, or He has, and you keep running back. And, and you, need, you need an encounter, a power encounter that leads to freedom in, in Jesus. Some of you just need provision. Some of you need relational 
restoration with others, friends, colleagues, family members. Yeah, we could go on the whole day. The list is very long, I'm sure, of different needs and longings. I want to remind you of what it says in James chapter 4. You do not have because you do not ask. And I want us to come to the Lord. We're going to come now and have communion together and share um, communion. This is for those who are believers in Jesus to celebrate uh, through these crackers and this juice the, the body of Jesus given for us and the blood shed. And, and I, want, I want us to do this. I want you to sit. And as you, as you gather the elements, so it's self-service. You come to the tables at the front and the back. Uh, and then head back to your seat. And uh, as, you, as you partake and as you pray, uh, answer that question. Jesus is here amongst us this morning. What do you want him to do for you? What do you want him to do for you? And after the service, we're gonna, we have a prayer team. If you'd like people to pray with you in particular, there are people who would love to do that. Sometimes it's helpful to have others pray for you and with you and kind of stand and lock arms with you around different things. But I, what, what I, one of the things that I love the most about the work of the Spirit and the fact that we're not whatever Catholic or whatever, that you have to come and stand before me, the priest, and I need to ask on your behalf, is that you can sit in the chair right where you are and you can answer that question to Jesus yourself in all honesty and you can ask him, say, would you do something miraculous in my life, in my heart, in my circumstance, in my situation today? Would you please do it for my good and for your glory? And God can do it. You don't need to come to somebody else to level up and unlock your prayer. You can do it. It's the wonder and the joy of being a believer and the ministry of the Spirit that God is going to move in this hall in each of our hearts as we sit with Him now. Collectively, together, the gathered body of Jesus. So I'm going to pray for us. And then I'm going to encourage you to come and get uh, communion elements and we'll celebrate together. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you, um, yeah, you asked that question all those years ago. What do you want me to do for you? And you, you, you ask it again of us this morning. Thank you that because of the reality and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you are present amongst us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Present with us in this hall, indwelling those of us who are followers of you. Thank you that we don't have to pretend with you this morning. Thank you that we don't have to pretty ourselves up. We don't have to clean ourselves up when we come to you. Your invitation is just to come. And you see through all of our nonsense. You see through all of our self-deception. And you see the deep needs of our hearts. And you see our desires. You see our lives. They're open before you. And I want to pray that you would give us grace to answer that question in all honesty. That we would bring our needs, we would bring our desires, we would bring even our, our disordered desires before you. And that you would do a wonderful work in us and amongst us this morning. Through the work of the Spirit. And I, and I want to pray, Father, we want to ask that you would do miraculous things. Even this morning, that you would pour out your power 
You are a miracle working God. You love to show off your power. And I pray that you would show off your power in our lives, in our circumstances, in our needs. We'd look at that and just glorify you, marvel at you. Come and pour out your power on us now, your love and your grace. Thank you that you deal gently and firmly with us. We come now to sit with you, to remember you, Jesus, your body given for us and your blood shed that enables us to be children of yours and to come and to bring our needs and to say, Father, this is what we need. I want you to do this for me. Come and minister to us. Come and help us and take glory to your own wonderful, beautiful, and powerful name. We ask it together in Jesus' name.